2: I'm sure everybody's here because you all felt the earthquake this morning at 6.15, magnitude 3.8, epicentered in West Seneca. Uh, The fact that the earthquake was just about uh, three or four jolts that lasted two or three seconds was a good indicator that it was to be a small earthquake. There's a direct correlation between the length of shaking, of strong shaking, and the magnitude of an earthquake. Uh, Typically, a magnitude uh, Uh, eighth earthquake could uh, shake for a minute, magnitude 7, 30 seconds, and it goes down all the way there. So by the time you have just a few jolt sizes this morning, you could tell it was about to be a four, maybe a five at worst. Um, And uh, so since it was short and intense, then you could tell it was close. As I was saying, it was a small earthquake. Lasted a couple of seconds and had about three or four good jolts. So a small earthquake like this is not... likely to produce damage unless you find some very distressed structures who are already from the beginning at risk. Uh, for example, we had a non-reinforced masonry building collapse. If you remember, I think it was last year in downtown Buffalo when there was no earthquakes down. So uh, a building that would be on the verge of collapse might need a little, little extra push there to, to get destroyed. But otherwise, sound construction uh, was unlikely to get damaged in Buffalo by such a small earthquake. So I'll take your questions if you have any right now.
4: Professor. Uh, 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 Liam Healy from News 8. Um, Sorry, I didn't mean to cut off whoever that was there, Um, but so this is the Clarendon-Linden fault system. These are normally known for strike slip and dip slip type earthquakes. Do you have any indication about what type this might've been?
2: Uh, No, I don't have that information now. I'm an earthquake engineer, so I'm focused on the engineering aspects and how to design infrastructure to resist earthquakes. Uh, If you want to drill down into the very, very nitty-gritty detail specifics of the mechanisms of the earthquake, uh, you would want to talk to a seismologist. But overall, I can give you a general picture. These are what we call intraplate earthquakes, um, meaning they're not happening at the, uh, the faults like in California on the San Andreas Faults. Uh, they're much less well understood and much uh, less easier to predict. Uh, so you can imagine the entire uh, continent of North America is in compression. There's new land coming in from the Atlantic all the time. It's being pushed on the Pacific where there are faults and subductions on earthquakes. So the entire continent is in compression. So a nice analogy that was uh, uh, provided, I think, a few years ago by a seismologist was that you can imagine the entire north american continent as a bag of wood chips and so there's lots of faults everywhere lots of discontinuities everywhere and if you compress it it's really hard to predict exactly where the next slip is going to happen in that bag so that's what we deal with with intraplates earthquake in a, in a nutshell
4: uh, hey professor,
2: this is tim
0: Waker at wben radio um could there be uh some sort of relationship at all to the uh uh, a horrific earthquake that they're experiencing around the world in Turkey, or experienced, I should say. Uh, not really.
2: I think uh, magnitude eight earthquakes. There's at least one every year. Magnitude seven, about ten every year. Six, a and so on. So the magnitude three point eight are in the thousands of earthquakes every year. Uh, they don't all happen next to a city. That's why you know it's a news today in Buffalo, and it's not going to be a news when it happens in the middle of a. Uh, somewhere else when there's only like a national park. But um, there's really, it's two different things altogether. The earthquake in Turkey is on uh, the South Anatolian Fault, which is quite remote from anything we're talking about here today.
0: As a follow-up, sir, unrelated to to Turkey, but what people are describing to us is, you know, they they felt a boom. Um, That's what I felt. Uh, They heard a loud noise. And as you've already detailed, that was you know less than three seconds, um, you know people felt like you know there's there should be something wrong that uh, something that loud that significant would have left damage and you know we're not hearing of any. I mean does does this surprise you at all?
2: No, it's very typical. the The, the earthquakes uh, constitute uh, are, are constitute of many types of wave. Uh, the first one to hit is the P wave. It's like a compression wave that comes towards you. And then after that, there are shearing waves, which are more transversal. So the boom usually comes from the P wave hitting. And that's uh, what usually feels like a truck has hit the building or something. And that's very typical, no matter where you are in the world. Uh, and then after that, it shakes a little bit by vibrating sideways. So uh, nothing unusual there. Thank you.
0: Julie Walker, AP Radio. I just have a follow-up to that question. The county executive did tweet that it felt like a car hit his house. What did it feel like for you?
2: Uh, It's pretty much the same. Everybody had this bang at the beginning, and then it sort of swayed a little bit. Uh, So I I counted about four cycles myself. I'm on the second floor of a building. Those of you who are higher up in a building will feel probably more vibration. Those of you who are on a softer soil as opposed to on rock will probably feel more intense vibration. But overall, it's the same mechanism
4: Professor, uh, if you can hear me, it's Ron Plants from Channel 2. Uh, What would you suggest? Now, we don't wanna panic people. And again, you are a structural engineer, I believe, that sees the connections with earthquakes. For the average person living in a home in this area, is there anything he or she should be looking for or checking? And would you expect any infrastructure looking at things like the skyway, looking at pipelines, transmission lines? What would you expect realistically and not, again, to panic people?
2: OK, so nobody can predict earthquakes in the short term. So we have to be clear about that. Um, so. I, like everybody else, like the best scientists can only talk in probabilistic terms, right? So we're looking at the data from the past and we're using that to extrapolate the future, which means at some point you could get some black swan event. Nobody can predict the future. But uh, overall, if we stay within the realm of what we have seen in the past, uh, typically you get a large earthquake followed by smaller aftershocks. Um, so if you have a magnitude seven, it'll be followed by sixes and fives and it will eventually attenuate over time. For a 3.8, we'll probably get a bunch of 3s and 2s and 1s, which nobody will feel actually because they're too small. Keep in mind that the difference between 3 and 4 is a logarithmic scale. So 4 is 10 times more powerful than a 3. So if you take 10 times less powerful than this morning, you probably would not feel them as aftershocks. Now, your question about infrastructure is a very good one. In fact, a lot of it is addressed in the book, The Blessings of Disaster. Um, We have to... Uh, design infrastructure to resist earthquakes. And from there, again, it's probabilistic. We're looking at what are the risks and what are the likely demands that uh, these structures will be excited by earthquakes in their lifetime, lifespan of 50 years for building and 75 years for bridges, for example. And running statistical averages and and, and, and extrapolating from that, it's possible to come up with design criteria for the infrastructure. Um, now, if these predictions remain correct and the past is a you know, foresight of the future, um, we have some prediction as to how infrastructure will behave. But like you've seen in Turkey, um, in the news media, uh, photos that have been posted online, some buildings collapse and some have not collapsed. And why is that? Because they all were not built to the same edition of the code. So a, a recent vintage uh, mid-rise construction in Turkey uh, fared much better than an older 50-year-old building that was designed at the time in an era where engineers had no clear idea on how to design that kind of infrastructure in Turkey at the time, right? So I thinking I'm digressing a little bit from your question, but the, the bottom line is uh, I don't think that we need to start to panic right now. Uh, we have to be realistic, though, and understand that we can't predict with great certainty what Mother Nature has in store for the future. Uh, if, I,
4: no. well, if I could just follow up then. So for the average property owner, okay, you wouldn't the worry the about inherited anything inherited thing realistically like at this there point.
2: There's nothing that you can really do today that would change uh, what you have in Buffalo in terms of uh, concerns about earthquakes, in terms of residential construction, I think.
4: Well, again, what I was trying to say is should we've heard some people saying, oh, I'm walking around the house trying to see if I see anything. And somebody else was rumored to be talking about drywall cracking, things of that nature. We had a a chimney, I guess, a couple of bricks. We went out to look at it. It was a couple of bricks that fell down on top of the car, not the whole chimney. Are those things you should be looking for realistically or is that more in the panic mode kind of thing?
2: So what I was trying to say earlier is that not all construction is the same. Uh, You have things that are in good condition and well-maintained, and you may have other buildings that are in um, less pristine condition, let's put it that way. So if you had a few bricks loose on your chimney and all they needed is a little bit of shaking to fall down, that's not impossible. Uh, If you have a building in in a good state of construction and well-maintained and the type of shaking we had this morning, statistically, should not make an impact. Uh, But then again, it's a statistical range, right? Can anybody come up and proclaim with absolute certainty that nothing has happened anywhere? No, of course not. Um, There could be a chimney somewhere that uh, fell and had a little bit of damage, but overall, not necessarily the case, I and mean, you can tell right now. I mean, just look outside. There's not. It's not like we're we're surrounded by damage right now, right? It's pretty mild, if anything, nothing. Uh, things on shelves probably did not even fall off the shelves, which are things that would normally be the first things that would get this. Uh,
0: Professor, can we closed. expect to feel anything else uh, later today or throughout the day?
2: Uh, You know, it's possible that you feel small aftershocks, as again, statistically, they should be smaller than the one we just felt. But nothing precludes the fact that there could be bigger earthquakes in the future. That's just the reality of life.
0: you know, going back to what Ron had asked about, you know, the construction and, and uh, you know, pre- preparation, you know, there are people raising their hands saying that you can actually get insurance for earthquakes locally. I mean, is, you're not an insurance expert, you're an earthquake expert. Is that at all advisable, you know, from your perspective? I mean, these are not very prevalent,
2: obviously. It's a it's a matter of preference. Uh, insurance is always a, a decision to be made as to how much risk you want versus how much uh, Uh, Insurance you want to purchase, Uh, I can tell you. For uh, I don't. I'm not saying that because I advise anybody to do one way or the other. But there's a on every insurance policy. There is a choice that you can say throw in the uh, coverage for earthquake. It's not a standard thing. It's an additional thing you have to ask for, and it's usually a few dollars every year. It's not a very expensive thing. So if anybody's got any worries, you can certainly get insured for earthquakes in Buffalo, and it's not expensive. This is Rave with Spectrum News. Can you talk about, uh, like, how rare is this in Western New York
0: and New York State? Is this, I mean, or how common? Uh, you know, where does this lie on that
2: spectrum? So it's not that rare. It's not a surprise, really. Uh, we know that there are earthquakes in Western New York. Uh, if you go online, I think there's a website where you can see all the ones that have happened over the past few years. And you'll see a bunch of twos and threes and ones. And uh, it's fairly regular. 3.8 is a little bit less common. I think there was a 3. Point, uh, there was a 4.3 just across the Lake Ontario a few years back. Uh, if you go to Attica, New York, which is what 22 miles from here, where the prison and uh, not the Ithaca, but the Attica, uh, there was a magnitude 4.8 in 1929. Which keep in mind, it's logarithmic scale, so 4.8 is 10 times stronger than what we had here this morning. So that, that's about the picture overall of what we've seen in, in the last century. Of course, New York City itself is also exposed to earthquake and so is Boston. So the building codes have to take that into account.
0: Dave Debo at WBFO. Uh, quick question about what we need to do ongoing in the future. The UB Center obviously studies what's best for the buildings across the entire country. Do we need to change our zoning codes here, or are these things just too infrequent for us to actually look at the kind of changes that I know you folks study there at UB?
2: So, building codes—the way it works with building codes in the United States—is that uh, there's—it goes back to the Constitution. When they wrote the Constitution, uh, I think the tallest building was three stories. Most of them were one or two stories, and barring lighthouses, there was nothing very tall at the time. So, the division of power sent construction to the states or to the local jurisdiction. So every city in the United States has to decide what kind of building code they want to have. Uh, Some places in the US are proud to say, for reasons unknown to me, that they don't have a building code and they're proud of it. Uh, Now, every city does not have the resources to develop a building code. So they often turn to the states and say, which building code do you recommend we use? And there are model codes out there that are proposed. And then from there, some states prefer not to develop their own code, but they'll they'll adopt uh, codes that are, exist that are model codes. So if you're in New York City, you develop your own building code. If you're uh, Buffalo, you probably refer to one of those model codes that the state will adopt or, or suggest, depending on the, the state. Um, now, from there, it becomes a bit more complicated because everybody has the right to overrule some clauses of the code. So some cities might say, Oh, we like this code, we'll adopt it, but we don't like the earthquake provisions, so we'll we'll strike them out. So there's no one-size-fits-all across the country. Everybody does whatever they want. Uh, so it's really hard to talk in generalities and say, um, this place does it right, this place does it wrong, because one would have to know what every municipality does. But overall, the model codes uh, try to capture the risk across the nation in probabilistic term and embody that as design requirements for engineers to follow in in, in engineered construction. And there's also some rule of thumbs for residential construction that seems to work well. So I don't think what we've seen today um, requires any change to the building codes right now. Building codes will often change when we discover that something doesn't work or something requires improvements. And that happens in much larger events than what we've seen today. Okay, do we have any uh, follow-up questions for Professor
4: Brunel? Yeah, maybe if we can, I think I've done stories, I've been out there before, but if the professor could just talk a little bit about, just so we have some understanding of the the research he actually does, I believe you have a simulated shake table, is that correct, Professor, where you're able to kind of simulate earthquakes with models of buildings, is that correct?
2: Right, so we, we have one of the most versatile earthquake engineering lab in the nation. We have two shake tables uh, that can be positioned at different distances from each other. Uh, They are able to shake specimens up to 40 tons each. Uh, And one of the recent uh, research projects I was involved with was to create resilient bridges. And so to do that, we had a 40 meter, sorry, sorry, 40 foot long bridge at one end sitting on the table, each of the ends sitting on a separate shake table. And we were simulating earthquakes using. Um, a type of device that we've introduced at the ends of the bridge to protect the bridge and then absorb all the damage from the uh, earthquake itself. And uh, the fact that these devices were not needed to resist gravity meant that uh, after an earthquake, technically you could replace the device very easily. I uh, put a new one just like a fuse in a fuse box if you want without having to close the bridge. So the bridge would remain fully functional following the earthquake and um, the advantage of that, of course, is that we also made the device such that uh, in reality, you don't really have to replace it after an earthquake. It's good to survive multiple earthquakes. So we had four sets of devices and overall, we subjected the bridge to 170 earthquakes with these four sets of devices. So they each resisted about 40 earthquakes. And so we thought this was a pretty neat system to create seismically resilient bridges. That's just one example among many. The type of research projects I've been involved with uh, over my years at the University of Buffalo.
0: His karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt, Hi-ya! and even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the three percent annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting
1: his dreams—thanks for everything, Mom and Dad—will always be
0: worth it.